Yeah, because they know when um, they know when I'm pleased. They know when I'm disappointed. They know when it's time to buckle down. And if I tell them, this is not our best, because we have that relationship, I don't have to come down heavy. They understand that um, they can do better because I see the potential in them. I have their best interests at heart. Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Success Podcast, where we learn to embrace your child's brilliance and unleash their full potential. I'm Phil Weaver, and today we have Emily Morrison. Emily is a teacher, a mother of three, and a writer from the great state of Maine. After an overwhelming outpouring of recognition and love from her former students, her peers, and her administrators, Emily realized that she had something important to give a very important element of teaching that may be largely missing in today's schools. Emily writes about her unique approach to teaching on her blog and in her upcoming book, Teach Like You Love Them and Mean It. Emily's approach to teaching is rooted in her love for children because she loves and believes in them. They grow to believe in themselves and in the value of what she has to teach them. The connection connection she has made with students has become her strength as an educator. Emily says, so many teachers are knocking it out of the park in terms of the craft of teaching, but they feel disconnected from their students and vice versa. She believes the reason for this disconnect is in the way academia prepares teachers for the classroom. There's no heart in it, she says. Teachers are not trained in social and emotional intelligences or in how to implement social and emotional curriculums. She realized that her ability to love her students in physically, socially, and emotionally acceptable ways has it enhanced her ability to teach them academically. Hello, Emily. Hi. Welcome to the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Very good. So um, interestingly, in our last podcast, we I, I just talked to um, a teacher at a school as a private school and what one of the subject came that came up was it, it's actually a private school for kids with learning differences and one of the things that came up was how they instituted uh the first two weeks of just it was just about connection so uh, and how power it really came across as how powerful that was i was a hill school in um in fort worth texas so it's interesting and, and fantastic that we're on this subject because that's what you're all about is connection with your students, right? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the more underutilized tools that every educator has is actually that ability to form a connection and to have a relationship with your students. Mm -hmm. um, so often we think that the relationship that we have with our students is purely teacher-student and we forget the human aspect that, you know, students are kids, teachers are, are human, we're adults we have more going on than just teacher students. So I think establishing that connection is just so key, especially at the beginning of your time with students. I see, okay, so um, what are what are the benefits of it? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, but. Yeah, um, but, uh, from personal experience, um, I've been teaching for almost two decades and beyond the hot coffee that my kids, <laughs> my former students bring in and the food uh -huh. and the just the outpouring of support when you um, connect with a student on a like, fundamental level, who they are, what they like to do, who am I, what do I like to do, um, you establish a way to communicate that's authentic. And the more real I am with my students, the more real they are with me. So I just find that the learning that we do is more meaningful, more authentic to their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's and just, it's for me, after teaching, as long as I've been teaching, um, I don't know how not to connect. It's just, uh -huh. I'm a very empathetic, nurturing person. So it's also just kind of part of who I am. I see. And how does it, does that actually affect the way they learn? Yeah. Um, I used to think that 
um, there was this old saying, my dad is also a teacher. He used to um, say, you can uh, always, uh, how did it go? You can never tighten, but you can always lighten. And I used to think, what does that mean? You can never tighten, but always lighten. You'd start with that serious face. And every time that um, someone would, you know, step outside the box or break a rule, come down hard on them, you got to be the heavy. But that just wasn't me. That approach wasn't really working. Um, so I found that just allowing myself to be who I am with my students kind of gave everybody a little breathing room. We relaxed and we're actually able to focus better on what I was trying to teach them. Kids could focus easier. I could focus easier. Um, we get more done. I don't want to brag, but we get more done in this classroom than in most classrooms that I visit because there's just, there's an ease between myself and my students. And it really does help us. Gotcha. Okay, so that saying is actually kind of hit home. So you can, I'm, I'm guessing maybe if you come in very empathetic, empathetic yeah. and very, very connected, then when you do tighten, right, you have a better effect. Yeah, because they know when um, they know when I'm pleased. They know when I'm disappointed. They know when it's time to buckle down. And if I tell them this is not our best, because we have that relationship, I don't have to come down heavy. They understand that. Um, they can do better because I see the potential in them. I have their best interests at heart. You know, kids are not as motivated as we think by punishment and reward. Kids are actually more motivated by connection. And a lot of current research and education supports that. They're motivated by relating to adults. They're not motivated by adults who take their cell phones away or adults who say, okay, you're gonna have to stay after school for detention. Because a lot of the kids that I work with, all they have faced in their life is adversity. That's all they know. So me giving them more of that doesn't necessarily motivate them to do better. They already know how to tune that out. Yeah, they've already blocked that out. Right, right. So I would imagine if you've established a pretty strong connection then within a big part of their motivation would be to please you, right? Yeah, because when you, know again that someone sees you for what you're good at for someone sees you for your potential and then they can also be honest enough with you to say when you're not meeting it that's real to them because you see them i see i see them because i hear them and they see me and they hear me and i think that's the foundation for good teaching that's the foundation for a good teacher-student relationship Right. It seems to me that not only would that be a good foundation for academ academics, but also your, for personal growth for them. Is that yeah. You know, having that growth mindset, not just with students, but with your colleagues, with their parents. If you want someone to grow as a person, as a student, then you need to communicate. You need to be able to understand each other. You need to collaborate. These are, you know, these are just good things to do. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would imagine, do people think that there's a conflict or is there a conflict in being so, you know, I'm going to empathetic. You're already nodding before I ask the question. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. go for it then. Well, so the myth, the myth, I think, about educators, especially empathetic educators, is that you must have no boundaries. You must tell them everything. Um, you know, you hug them you give them rides home, you feed them, like where are your boundaries? And I, that is probably one of the bigger myths that I want to deconstruct is that empathetic educators do have boundaries. It's actually the opposite. We have very clear expectations. We walk the walk, we talk the talk, we mean what we say. That isn't because we hop over boundaries or we you know, break down our children's boundaries. It's because we model for them the behavior that's acceptable. We model for them the language that's acceptable, the work ethic that we want. It's about being consistent. It isn't about um, picking which rules to break and which rules to follow. So I think that the longer I teach, 
certainly in one spot, the easier it is for me to prove that that's just not true. Um, I do have boundaries with my students, but I also want them to know that I'll do anything within my power to help them academically, socially, emotionally, you know, be successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, so I, I imagine the boundaries are the kind of most of the answer to this, but are there any other ways that having that tight relationship with your student can get in the way of teaching? Yeah, I mean, with anything, you have to navigate. I think that's probably one of the harder things about being a teacher is navigating those personal professional boundaries. But um, sometimes kids, you know, they see you as friend, parent, mentor, priest, cop, therapist, and for me as a teacher, it's just really important that I utilize every other adult in my school. That if someone is having personal issues or emotional issues, I can listen to them, but I also need to know who to direct them to. Because there are times when students' problems are beyond mm -hmm. my scope. And so uh, talking to the social worker or to another teacher or to the administrators who I know need to be in the know using the people that I am connected to, to help students when there are other issues that they bring to me, it's really important because that's gonna come up. It yeah. just, it's just part of teaching. Sure, sure. So you mentioned they, they see you in, in different roles. Do you ever yeah. jump, jump between relationships with the same person? Yeah, sometimes, you know, uh, you're the good cop and the bad cop. Uh -huh. <laughs> you're, the, you're the person that tells them, oh, this is great. And then really, you, you made that choice. That right. was your best choice. So, um, you know, I think in getting to know my students, you sort of learn what they need you to be, who they need you to be, when they need you to be it. So, yeah, just being able to kind of talk with them and, and understand where they're at tells me what do I need to do for you right now. Right, right, yeah. Interesting, yeah, jumping between relationships can be tricky. I, yeah. I, I, I have, uh, I, I, Kung Fu is, is my foundation and I studied directly under a very old grandmaster and this is the type of guy that, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people it's just to see him and take a few moments with him was just this huge privilege but i was his friend and his student and it was really weird jumping between right. though that those really disparate relations right. relationships but it was a it was a necessary skill in that position so as a parent so i have three children and um I remember when I was younger, my mom always used to say, I'm your mother, not your best friend. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You know, I would always say, yeah, uh, yeah, great, you know, because I sort of, I saw my friends and their relationships with their parents, and some of them seemed like they were their child's best friend. Uh -huh. And though I thought that I wanted that at the time, looking back, now that my mother is my best friend, I'm really glad she was my mom. And I never was confused in that. And so as a teacher, that's the worst thing that I want to do for a student is for them to be confused about who I am to them. Right. I want them to understand first and foremost, I'm their teacher and I'm someone who wants to um, help them reach their potential, make them better. But at the same time, I want them to know I care about them. Uh -huh. And so, you know, whether they see me as a friend, teacher, therapist I'm not so concerned with how they see me I want them to understand that I it's how I want to treat them I want them to feel respected and encouraged and cared for so I mean whatever role they see me in it's not to me as important as how they feel about the work that we do together mm -hmm. and if and if they feel the right way, if they feel the way that I want them to feel, then I'm happy. Right. I'm glad you explained that. That's that was a really good explanation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so earlier you talked about expectations. 
how important are expectations? <laughs> how powerful are our expectations? You know, kids will rise to the level of our expectations or they'll sink to the level of our expectations. And I think when you have clear and high expectations, kids will meet those, but you need to give them a way to get there. So just setting high expectations and being clear on your expectations, that's great, but you also need to meet them where they're at and keep pushing them to that next level. And, um, you know, a lot of teachers do that that first few days, just talking about uh, class expectations and norms and um, getting to know kids and making sure that everybody's on the same page. That is really important. Right. Okay. So if do you ever set your expectations of a student and you're not really sure if they can meet them, but you're just going to put it in your head that they can? Yeah, I think um, sometimes our real uh, our expectations aren't always as realistic as we think they are. And you have mm -hmm. to go back because you don't quite realize um, the disparity. Mm -hmm. Someone may present, for instance, my obviously I teach English. They might be very um, conversational and verbally, they seem like they have all the right things popping, but then you take a look at their writing and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I missed this. And sometimes what it means is you have to go back and you have to readjust and say, okay, so this might take a little longer for you to get here, but you can still get here. And I think it's that willingness to go back and think about what do I have to do now to get you to where I want you to be. Right, stepping back to basic foundational yeah. skills. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. We, we need to all go back and review. And you don't really know that until you get to know your students. Right, right, well, everything is about mastering the basics, right? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Um, yeah, I always give the uh, analogy, analogy of jazz music, musicians when I'm teaching Kung Fu about, mm -hmm you know, they can do that and they can go all over the place because they've got the scales down, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and they practice the scales every day. So it just goes back to that. Yeah. When you present your ideas or t to other teachers, um, mm -hmm. do you, uh, is that scary? Is that, how's that oh, go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a conference coming up tomorrow and, um, and I've been preparing for it. And um, I'm always thinking about um, relating. How do I want to relate uh, my personal philosophy of teaching to my colleagues? And it's easier for me to do that, funnily enough, for people I don't know than people I know. Um, I think because I've been working in a, a district for a while, uh, it's easier to talk shop sometimes with people who aren't in my shop <laughs> because there um there is no preconceived notion of who i am or what i do i can just kind of speak about what i do and then field questions and to me it's less um unsettling sure. but i'm getting better at it um okay. i think it's just hard to be a kind of educator who talks about love openly all the time. People don't talk about love around uh, the coffee pot. <laughs> it's not right. usually right. in the running dialogue. So talking about how important it is to show students how much you care about them, how much you prioritize them. Um, that is hard. That's hard to do because we're so focused on standards and on sort of academic jargon when we talk about kids that I think it's hard to talk about social and emotional curriculum. It's right. just not part of, of what we talk about openly. Sure, and, and how is that received? I think um, the people who I work closest with are all for it. Um, it's the people who maybe have been here a while uh -huh. and um, who just don't share those same views um they don't really buy in they and don't. no but i think it's because it makes them a little uncomfortable because by it implies that they're not doing something that they should be doing that you know they got this job so that they could be a teacher and to 
talk about what they know and then go home. <laughs> and um, I think saying that it's more than that sometimes makes people feel like um, they didn't sign on for that. They didn't sign on for relationships and um, asking kids how they're doing and how they're feeling all the time. And it's a different school of thought. I just don't happen to share that. It also seems far more difficult relationships and that are far more complicated yeah. than facts, yeah. right? Right, yeah, because you know, anybody can uh, be the sage on the stage. You can get up and you can stand and deliver. And I think, yeah, relationships are more cumbersome, they're more involved. And um, so there's some pushback with that. Sure, it, yeah, and, and you have to be more vulnerable, which is probably scary. Sure. Yeah, I think um, I, I have always been nothing but vulnerable. <laughs> so uh -huh. to me, it's, it's nothing new. It's, it's the, I am, I think, a lot more vulnerable with my students than I am with like those colleagues who don't share the same opinion. I, after a certain point, you stop opening up. You uh -huh. sort of, okay, well, I put myself out there and I put myself out there and now I'm just going to put myself out there somewhere else, you know, because... Right. There's only so much you can really do to change someone's mind on that. So even with the pushback, you're still moving forward, right? Yeah, because this works. Because, uh -huh. right. like, as you mentioned uh, at the beginning, the sheer number of students that continue to contact me and come in and visit me and email me and message me and um, meet with me to you say thank you. That, you I mean tell yeah. you about their lives yeah they want to catch up they want to ask me how i'm doing they want to um tell me that they made it they want me to know that um things were hard but they're on the other side and that means so much to me to realize that i could have helped someone find that version of, of happiness and success i mean that's that's what oh yeah for that's, that's, you know, you, that's you, i don't know better than better. vacation time right <laughs> I don't know what better you could do than that, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so essentially, they're still wanting to please you. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> to the point where I'm like, I don't, I'm going to try and pencil you in, but I'm a little busy. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really great. Right, wow. So, you know, schools were kind of built on this industrial era model, and it seems like there's even getting more stringent about like stamping out these perfect, you know, exact. Right. Replicas of each other. Replicas. Yeah. What, what do you think about that? It's called mass customized learning. <laughs> it's an oxymoron. Um, yeah. Okay. You, um, it doesn't work. Um, we all as adults play to our strengths. We have different gifts, multiple intelligences, um, and, you know, we can throw around the teacher jargon about differentiating instruction and, um, you know, adapting, accommodating, but the bottom line is kids are individual and we can't treat every single child the same. And like I said earlier, we have to maybe modify or adjust some of our expectations, but the way I have found to be most successful with my students is by learning those individual identities and strengths and adjusting my teaching so that it doesn't matter who I have. I can teach AP English, I can teach introductory lit, I can, um, it isn't about the kind of kid that I'm teaching, it's about how I respond to them. So, I mean, I think there's a reason why industrial age teaching was in the industrial age. It was a long time ago. Things have changed. We've changed. Our culture has changed, and we need to adapt to that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you said the word accommodating, and I know that's, you know, big mm -hmm. with, in, in IEPs. And it just what just, just kind of mm -hmm. hit me is that when they're accommodating, they're accommodating for that industrial, that exact right. duplicate rather than th this is a completely different concept of playing to strengths to playing to the individual and letting um, their multiple multiple yeah. uh, what did you say they're different intelligences they're different and yeah. in, they're separate and different intelligences because mm -hmm. we all have different yeah right. 
Yeah, I, again, I think that um, that's the hard part of teaching. And when I began teaching my first, second, third, fourth, fifth year, you know, you're just trying to survive. Let's be real. You know, you, you think you have the day's lesson plan all set and you write it down and you've got your plan book and, you know, this is going to go great. They're going to love this. And then uh, it falls flat and you're thinking, oh, okay, so what do I do now? Mm. So um, part of, I think, being an effective teacher is coming in, you got to take the temperature of the room, you got to know who you're working with and you need to adjust, you need to accommodate. You know, there are teachable moments that you can't plan for. And if you are so focused on what you think you have to teach them, you're going to miss those moments. And so are those yeah. kids. Yeah. I, I know from my own experience, I always go in with a lesson plan. Yep. And never teach it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> never. Not once have I ever. Right. Yeah. From, from 10 seconds in, it's. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think because you have to realize again sometimes there are things that when you read a student body language how they look at you how they sound you might have one idea of what they're going to say or what they might be thinking and then um it's something else entirely so i teach three or four different sections a day with the same lesson and every single section that i teach is a little different right because my audience is different and I've done it a couple times and I learned things that I didn't know the first time I was going through it. So, Teach I mean, and learn, right? yeah, it's always going to yeah. be a little different. Well, it's always an interplay between. Right. It's a dance. The dance. Right. Exactly. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay, cool. Have a smart child who is struggling in school? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you feel like the struggle is holding your child back from their true potential? Maybe the anxiety and worry over your child's future just beats you down every day. You don't have to live that way. Learn how to stop a learning disability from becoming a life disability. A child with a learning disability is stressful for the child and the parent. The disability may be eroding their confidence and shattering their self-esteem. Other people may perceive your child as unintelligent and antisocial. If not addressed and fixed early, the child may develop permanent challenges later in life when looking for a good job or meeting a potential spouse. Our current school system does not know how to properly help our children, but at Learning Success, we do. We've created a system you can easily do at home with your child, and with just 15 minutes per day after school with your child, you can save them from a life of struggle and heartbreak. Learn how to unleash your child's potential and embrace their true intelligence. As a special gift for being a loyal podcast listener, we're going to give you a free trial of the Learning Success System. Try it out absolutely free for 15 days. If it is not the perfect fit to help your child succeed in school and in life, just cancel before the trial ends and pay nothing. You even get to keep the free bonuses. Go to www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast to get your free trial now. You'll be so happy you did once you see the great grades your child is capable of getting. Imagine being so proud of your child when they bring home a great report card and hand it over with a beaming smile. Get your free trial now at www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast. You've got nothing to lose except the stress and anxiety that is holding you and your child down. I'll see you there. Why do you think the U.S. is so far behind in education? Yeah, yeah, Finland's knocking it out of the park, I guess. Um, I think there are lots of reasons. And I think um, part of it is what we were just talking about. We're very caught up 
with test results and student achievement that I think student engagement and that interaction uh, between teacher and student suffers because we're very um, caught up in outcomes. And um, especially in situations where teachers are evaluated based on students' performance, um, you know, the stakes are high for us to get them to where they need to be. And I don't think we um, stop and reflect enough. I don't think uh, we collaborate with our peers enough. And I think too, um, I was reading this, I think in Tim Walker's book, Teach Like Finland, um, they focused on not just obviously the achievement, but the joy. They take breaks, you know, they work for 45 minutes and then they have a 15 minute brain break. Um, we don't do that. The way that our schedules are set up, our, my students have eight periods a day, 40 minutes back to back to back. Um, it's, it's a very rigorous, monotonous schedule that doesn't really allow for a break. Um, so I think we need to shift our priority. We need to go back and prioritize student joy, student engagement, not just student achievement. And then the rest follows suit. But it starts with prioritizing um, where they're at, you know, yeah. not just what they know. Right, right. You mentioned brain breaks, and that was, I just recently discovered that brain break breaks are yeah. a popular thing or yeah. gain, gaining popular. Right. Popularity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, 15 years ago, I developed a software program called BreakPal. Oh, wow. And it was, it was built for the office and they were three minute break, brain breaks. We didn't call them yeah. that, we just called it break yeah. And they were based on Qigong moves, which are uh, breathing exercises from, from uh, Kung Fu. And we did some yoga and different things like that. And it actually, let's see, this was 2008 when, no, I put it out in 2006. In 2008, it hit uh, Real Simple Magazine. Oh, yes. We didn't know it. We were literally, it was a, it was a difficult, <laughs> difficult time in our, in our life financially. We were, we were, my wife and I were literally sitting at the table going, how are we going to pay mortgage? Yep. And then all of a sudden, these orders started coming through. Wow. $35, $35 to like 20 a minute. We're coming through and we're going, what is this? Where is it coming from? <laughs> wow. We had hit Real Simple Magazine. So anyway, so we redeveloped it and um, relaunched it in the beginning, beginning of 2009. And of course, that was when there was the economic crash. And it, it We got into Weight Watchers Magazine and some others. And so it was going big and then the economic crash and then it just died. But one of the things we did is we went to school, our school district and said, we'll give this to you for free if you will let the te let, try it with, with the kids and do these brain breaks. You know, we didn't call them that. Yeah. But, and oh, it was a great idea, but it just never took off. And so now here a few months ago, I look on there and there's brain breaks. I'm like, we and tried they're that. Huge. <laughs> they're huge. Yeah. huge. Yeah. Well, because it allows you to refocus, recenter. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it only makes sense. I mean, uh, how many times throughout the day when I'm doing something, I have to get up, I have to stand, I have to move, I have to walk around, I have to stretch. I mean, I watch students do that all the time. Yeah. Um, it's a way that you can just disconnect for a moment and then you come back with renewed energy. And yeah, it works. But we don't, <laughs> we don't do it enough because we got to keep it moving. Right, right. Um, and I think that that approach really just, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I Good think- my, for you. Well, my timing was off. You yeah, know? <laughs> bring it back. <laughs> we talk about it all the time, yeah. For yeah. Sure. So, um, yeah, we've actually started, I did take some of the exercises and started taking them and putting up a little brain break section. I didn't finish the project, but we're, we're, we're thinking about throwing it up there for schools to use. And, See, yeah well we need know. it we desperately need it yeah yeah i think we might do that so um 
do you, uh, what about kids that are really disadvantaged? I, you, I think you mm -hmm. mentioned in the beginning that you had a lot of that. Yeah. Is this, a, is this a, I think um, the, uh, when I first began teaching, I didn't realize how disadvantaged because um, I was young and I think you assume that, um, that everybody sort of has the, the, either the background or the, maybe the privileges that you have. And then um, I think my second or third year, I realized that a good number of the kids that I was assigning homework to just didn't have homes. And um, I remember thinking, how could this be? You know, they're coming in, they don't have their homework, they haven't read, I didn't assign that much. And um, then I had a child and realized uh, what a hungry child looked like, what a tired child looked like, what a sick child looked like. And I started understanding uh, that sort of unspoken language when children aren't getting their needs met. Um, you can tell. And the longer I, I teach, the easier it is for me to uh, see uh, the poverty and um, the abuse, the substance abuse, the mental uh, health issues that a lot of uh, my kids face. And um, it can be really disheartening because, uh, you know, someone with a big heart wants to take every child home. And I have in the past, um, but that take isn't a real, yeah, oh yeah. That isn't a home? Yeah, um, we, my husband and I, um, when we started teaching, um, we had three young children, um, were sort of a safe haven for kids um, yeah. who weren't necessarily in the foster system. But you learn after a while that that isn't a realistic, you know, solution. Um, so for me, it's just really important to give back in other ways, whether that's, you know, contributing to like the turkey drive that we have coming up, uh -huh. um, having fundraisers, bringing um, coats and clothing in, you know, working the programming that already exists in our school. Um, through the social worker that we have, just being an advocate for kids who come from adversity in any way that we can, because right. so many of our students really just aren't getting their basic needs met. Yeah, there really are a lot. We actually did yeah. take one in and raise her. Um, we didn't officially adopt her. Yeah. But, but she lived with us and was, you know, we yeah. So the school thought my wife was her mom, even though she was blonde and I need my wife has dark hair. There's no way she was our biological daughter. Yeah, we had similar experiences. Um, <laughs> but, the, you know, the thing is, is that uh, when you love kids, you know, um, you do it. Yeah. Because you, you see what the alternative can be. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm, I've never regretted any decision to help a child out who really needed it. And um, and it's, I think, so important that they see school and teachers as safe people and safe places to come to um, when when they don't have that, that in their outside lives. So you, yeah, you may be their only pillar yeah. of stabi stability. That they, right, yeah. They uh, My best friend is a psychotherapist and she often quotes statistics about um, if, uh, if a child has just one stable uh, adult figure in their life by the time they reach seven, um, you know, they get a good chance. Yeah, but they yeah. need one, they need one adult that they can rely on. Right, and even with your limited contact, do you think that yeah. that's? Yeah, because chances are I can connect them with someone else and it can be me until it can be someone else. Right, right, for that moment yeah. in your life. Yeah. That's, yeah, for sure. I've seen, I've seen so much of that. Um, let's jump down, down some of your ideas. So nicknames, tell me about nicknames and why that's important. That sort of evolved over time and it um, came about because I realized that kids responded better to me when I called them by their nickname. And uh -huh. so eventually I started doing this nickname game with them where on the first or second day of class, we'd go around the room, 
uh, my room is set up in a circle and I would ask them, who are you or what would you like to be called? And sometimes they'd have a nickname, sometimes they wouldn't. And then we get to play the fun 20 question game where I would say, okay, well, tell me about yourself. Let's see if we can come up with one. And I think maybe three or four kids over the past 15 years have declined the use of a nickname. Yeah. Um, but everybody else, they love it because it's just a way to show uh, closeness. Mm-hmm. And I mean, ultimately, that's what every kid wants is just to feel special for a second, just to feel like um, their peers or their teachers have uh, a kind of relationship with them that they could use a nickname. And when I see them in the hall or when other kids see each other in the hall and they say, uh, what's up, um, Sage Sickle? Mm-hmm. It just, their faces light up. Yeah. And, and it just makes them happy. It makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. Families do that within themselves, you know. So right, it makes, right. A, that's, a, that's a sign of closeness, right? Yeah, and celebrities do it, CEOs do it. There are a lot of people in our society that have shortened their names to too much success or changed their names. Right. And, um, it's just one of the ways I think we just kind of closer identify with people. Mm-hmm. Right, interesting. Yeah, it, it, my students all know me as Shen Shifu, which is a title, not a nickname, but they still, still saying it in public is. Um, I, mouthful. I don't think I could say it. Huh? I don't think I could say it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you shun shifu, yeah, it, in in Mandarin, it's even worse. So. <laughs> okay. Thanks for taking it easy. I can't even. Shun shifu. Yeah. Shun shifu. Uh huh. Yeah. It 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 means teacher. <laughs> oh. Okay. Means... Well, mine's Mama Mo. Mama Mo. Okay. <laughs> very good. Which also means teacher, right? Yeah, it's very fitting. <laughs> Good. Um, so the foundation of this is being authentic with them. How do you, how do you get there? You know, just by sharing. I mean, my subject is English, so I can create sort of prompts that speak to, um, you know, personal essays or questions about who they are and their identity. But the the easier way to do this is just small talk. It's just to the rest of the world. It's conversations. It's before class or during class or after class, having, you know, small one-on-one conversations with kids, um, you know, asking them, you know, what do you do in your spare time? What do you like? What are you interested in? Getting to know if they're doing something, you know, extracurricular wise, um, what that is or showing up to that. You can, you can be authentic with them in lots of different ways. The important thing is that when they share something with you, you have to listen. And when I share something with them, I want them to listen. So, um, you know, really paying attention to who they are and being present in the moment, especially it's hard when you have, you know, 40 minute classes and everything goes by so quickly, but trying to make the most of those moments that you're together is, is important to me. It sounds what, like one of those simple, but not easy. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Easy to say, hard to do. Listening, being present. Yeah. yeah th- those are difficult skills. Yeah, in any relationship. Yeah. <laughs> she says. She says. Hey, I, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, so is my husband, but, you know, he's getting better. Right, right. Uh, and I think you I mean, said you've been married eight, 18 uh, years? We've been together 21 and yeah. 18. So, you know what? Next decade, he's got it. He's got it. Hey, I, we're on 21. I think I'm getting pretty good. So. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, took, I wasn't a fast learner. So. Uh, no, neither was he. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had just told us, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard to understand a woman, but when we say yes, no, 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 it, it just, yeah. we, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah right, right. So you talk about breaking, I'm going to get off of this subject. <laughs> uh, breaking bread, you said that's important. Yeah. You know, um, I think there was a saying, uh, well, actually it goes back to this subject, I'm sorry. Um, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same with kids. 
if you want them to be happy, if you uh -huh. uh, want to show them that you care about them, um, one of the best ways that I've found to do that is to every now and again, surprise them with food because um, nothing lights up a kid's face faster than a cookie, cupcake, sometimes a bag of apples if, you, if you're desperate. But um, I always keep um, crackers or snacks uh, in my room. Um, I have a hot water machine so we can have like tea or cocoa. Um, okay. Lucky enough that that's okay. But um, like, oh, yeah. was, Would that, could that be a problem? Well, you know, electrical outlets and plugins and things like that in school, sometimes they'd like you to take like the Keurig out of your room. Mm -hmm. um, but by and large, I found that um, kids look forward to those little social rituals because it's one way of showing that you're together in this when you can sit down and share something with them, whether it's a hot drink or a cold drink or a snack. Uh, and so many of our kids are hungry that it actually helps them focus, you know, like the cognitive brain function. Yeah. Um, if you're giving them something healthy. Um, but for me, it's just one way of saying I'm with you. I'm mm -hmm. we're all in this together. Showing it in actions. Yeah, yeah, it's showing you care. Right, okay. Um, and you'd mentioned earlier about reading a child. And so can you tell me about learning body language and expression and, and being yeah. able So it's just nonverbal cues. And sometimes kids um, don't really know how to express how they're feeling. They don't really know who to talk to or, or how to get it out. But um, if you know what, um, how they normally talk and act and if they usually make eye contact and they're not, or if they, you know, usually sound um, calm and, you know, they come in and they're spouting off. I mean, it doesn't take a, a psychologist to read when a child is upset, but um, you have to tune in to their behavior to understand when something isn't within the realm of their normal behavior. And yeah. um, it just means paying attention to things that they may not say, but um, they show you with their actions. Because I think the tendency is to overlook kids' actions, to just kind of, all right, they seem upset, but let's just keep going. Well, sometimes yeah. they're not in a headspace where you can just keep going. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to acknowledge that something's wrong and ask what it is and then see if you can find a way past it. Right. Are you familiar with the Amy Cuddy TED Talk? Oh, I don't think I am. Okay, so a Amy Cuddy has done research in posture and how it affects the emotions. Oh, wow. And essentially, and this is something I'm very into because we found a huge, our backstory is we ended up with a, high, a elementary school principal first enrolling his daughters with us in Kung Fu class. Okay. Then seeing what we did, he then sent us every kid with a learning difference from his entire school. So we had classes of 50 or 60 with, you know, ADHD, dyslexia, oh, wow. dyscalculus. So we, we had this laboratory and, you know, um, and we had these massive successes with him. And part yeah. of it was building confidence. And part of it is this, what you're talking about, the connection. But one part of it was the, um, we're building posture and strong <laughs> ways of moving. And so- yeah. The idea here is that the emotions, of course, affect the posture, right. but it goes the other direction as well. That's so true. Yeah. So yeah. So just by getting them to move, you know, move in a strong ways and stand up straight, yeah. we, we could really affect the emotions. Um, yeah. Well, if you look at kinesthetic learning and kinesthetic learners yeah. and all yeah. of that school of thought, it's the same idea that you know. It's part of the reason why I ask my students at the beginning of every school year, how do you best learn? Are you hands-on? Are you kinesthetic? Are you visual? Are you verbal? Like, what is it that, that you know, turns your dials up so I can find a way in? And yeah, um, I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, we show how we feel and how we move and how we talk. You know, we're, we're more than just- Far more. Far more. Yeah. I think there's a lot more communicated there. Yeah, right. Going on. Yeah, interesting. How do you, you know, with so many students, and um, how do you, how do you have time for 
all of this? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. You, um, you don't, and you, you always you wish there was more and you always want more. Um, but I think you find little ways to make time. Um, part of uh, being a teacher with, you know, 100 students on my caseload every year is uh, prioritizing what's most important, prioritizing yeah. what I absolutely have to get done, which children need, uh, which students really need me to focus, sit down with them one on one, who can wait a minute, who can't wait a minute, and uh, establishing that line of communication with them so that even when I can't be physically present or available to help them, letting them know when I can be, letting them, um, you know, whether it's through an email or giving them some way to contact me and let me know, okay, this is what I need help with, Mrs. Morrison. Um, establishing that line and prioritizing what I can do and who I can help kind of helps me show them uh, how much I value them. Uh -huh. um, because if you don't make time for them, if you don't um, give them a way to communicate with you, then what essentially you're saying to them is you're not that important. You're important, but you're not that important. So I always want them to see that uh, I'm going to try to find the time in my day to meet with them, talk with them, communicate with them. You know, and, and some days are better than others, but I'm always going to try. Right. So it sounds like just the fact that they know that you're trying is maybe a large yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Yeah, I think um, they understand that uh, it, there's one of me and a hundred of them, but mm -hmm. just doing the best I can. I mean, that goes a long way. Yeah. And, and in the moments that you are with them individually or whatever, right. you're, you're listening in your presence. Right. Even you if know, it's not, not long. Right. Right. So, you know, we were talking about this earlier, you know, there's physical availability and there's emotional availability. And sometimes uh -huh. all I can offer is a limited physical availability and emotional availability, but but I want them to know that I'm trying to be both, you know, that in the moments that we have together, I want to, you know, make the most of it. Um, and that, again, I think my students understand that pretty soon within meeting me, that mm. I want to be there for them. Yeah. Interesting. And then they don't leave me alone when they graduate. So it's really working. You know, <laughs> they keep coming back. So, uh, it's working. This is this is great. That's great. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you're going to be a busy. This is going to compound, and you're going to be busier and busier, right? Yeah, probably. But, but it's good. It's That's good, good huh? Yeah. Um, how about collaborating with other teachers on this? And uh, do you do you do a lot of that? Yeah, I try to. Um, our school actually has a um, an amazing uh, setup where Fridays we have. Um, about an hour and a half every Friday built into our schedule. Our students are dismissed early and uh, we have an hour and a half of sort of professional learning uh, community time. And whether we meet in departments or we meet as a staff, we can always count on that time together. And that's been essential to um, just having the same shared vision to you know, revisiting our mission statement, to aligning what we do. We need that time together to grow. And, and I'm so lucky to work in a district that does that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. About, um, so parents, you know, I know that the parents' influence on the child is one of the most strongest influencing factors. Do you mm. work to really collaborate, form relationships with the parents in any way, collaborate with them? Yeah, I think them. that's probably the number one most determining factor in children's success is parental involvement. So yes. uh -huh. um, whether it's uh, by email, telephone, text, I ask what's the best, best method to contact them. And then, you know, making time to set up a positive um, interactions with parents, not just yeah, I haven't seen any homework for three years. <laughs> right, you only call when it's bad, right. yeah. Yeah, like nobody wants the bad news phone call first. Like, so if you can 
make an effort to talk to those parents and just let them know what you're doing and who you are and, and things that you observe about their child, uh, whether through, you know, interactions or just um, conversations that you've had. Um, as a parent, I really appreciate it when teachers take the time to reach out to me with those positives first. Because um, you're all on the same team. And I have never had one parent say to me, oh, I wish I knew less about my child. They, they want to know, We're, you know, they love those kids. We're on the same side. So just remembering that when I talk to them, that's, that's important. It, it, does that usually, it, the situation where parents are going to assume that, or do you have to build that, that you're on the same team or? It, I think it's, it's, it's kind of case by case. And um, um, I think a lot of times parents do get the negative call first. They do get the, um, uh, so-and-so isn't doing something and, and do you know about this? And I think um, we're used to kind of seeing teachers and parents as on two separate sides of this, this equation. And so just really developing that rapport, just like I do with their children, um, is important. And letting them know how they can contact me. It's really simple things like this is my email. If you need to reach me and you can't reach me here, this is the school number. This is um, yeah. just giving them as many ways as, as I can think of to get a hold of me. So prob probably if you're doing that up front. The yeah, they know. Clear, right. Yeah. They know they can talk to me because I'm letting them know how and whatever else they want to know. So if you contact them, their initial re reaction is not what's wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, because they're like, oh, she does, she does contact a fair, fair amount. Uh, <laughs> and, and I have really good relationships with my students' parents. Um, you know, uh, I had a former student whose mother needed a ride to a state track meet, and he didn't hesitate to ask me because he knew that I knew his mother so well that it would be no problem. Um, you know, and there are a ton of situations like that where students know that I know their family and um, that works to our benefit in a lot of ways. Sure, right, yeah. very good. So tell us about your book. So I started writing this book last April um, and it really just came from a conversation that I had with a colleague. Um, my mother was going through a health crisis and I thought, uh, wow, God, how can I teach and, and take care of my mom? And it had been out a day or two and students um, were aware because I don't hold back anything. And um, I came back in and my entire room was decorated. Uh, they had, I think, a balloon arch over the windows. Um, they had a sign, they had pictures up. And, um, you know, I wept. And I was leaving the building and I bumped into a colleague and she was having a hard time. Um, she had signed up to chaperone a trip or something and she didn't uh, understand why um, more of her students hadn't signed up. And she said something like, what's your secret? What are you doing? How I stay here, I'm here late, I'm here early, I'm doing all these things, you know kids respond to me, but they don't respond to me the same way they respond to you. And I thought, well, I don't have a secret. I have no big secret. And I went home and I thought that's the worst answer I could have ever given that woman. Um, I do have a secret and it's that I love them. Yeah. And I think we don't think we can say that. So I started to jot down all the different ways that I show them in you know socially and emotionally appropriate ways that I care for them. And they are not revolutionary, but they are things that I think every teacher can do to show kids that we value them. And I think a lot of teachers are hitting it out of the park, but they don't see that that disconnect between ourselves and our students um, doesn't need to be there, that we can actually be more effective when that gap isn't there. So that's why I started writing the book and, uh, and I've had some success in um, trying to get it on the market and I'm just trying to figure out now um, what's the best way to do that. 
okay. So will will we see it soon or? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I'm in talks, um, uh-huh. and and I hope that yeah that it will be soon. Good, good. So I, that'll be posted on your website, I'm sure. Yes, I will. I will make uh, sure it is. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else we have not covered that's you want to say? Um. Hmm. I think this is vital work. I think that um, so often teaching can be a lonely job because our tendency is to come in and shut the door and you know do what we do and go home. So the more we talk about, I think the role of emotion in education, um, the more freeing that is. And I just think it's so important to continue this conversation so that other teachers can realize it's okay to care about your kids. It's yeah. okay to have relationships. Like that's what makes it work. We are humans, right? Not, yeah. not machines. We are, we are humans. Yeah. And so people can find you where? You can find me on my website, emilydenbomorrison.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all the social medias. And everywhere, ubiquitous. And, huh? Yes, so far. <laughs> so, okay. Very good. Well, thank you very much. And we'll put links to all of that in the description uh, so people can find your website and all of your social media and that. But uh-huh. This has been uh, very good. And I wish you a lot of success in what you're doing. And I, I do agree it is something the world definitely needs. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Best of luck. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it and we appreciate you. Thank you again and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.